Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, aka Jote Maniac. Oh my gosh, I am super excited to announce that today our guest is none other than Chris Perkins. Super Yay! pumped to have him joining us. And we're going to be looking at the Gazetteer, which appears in both the newest D&D book, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, and also it's in the Eberron book as well. But we're going to be talking to Chris about the Gazetteer and getting a lot of awesome inspiration about it. Definitely. And the most important person on the call is, in fact, his dog, Milo. But that's all. Of no, course. I'm just kidding. And if you're a patron dragon, head on over to Patreon where you can check out a short podcast that Matt Keel and I put out all about the Manticore and how terrifying it is. But enough of that. That's fantastic. And before we jump into the meat, we do have a five star review from Apple Podcasts. This one comes from Dinosaur Whisperer and is entitled Work, Work, Fun. And work is spelled with an E. Five stars. Work phone? Who dis? Got myself a new eyepiece, and I'd figured I'd put it to some good use. Five stars to the gents behind Geek Wars and DMB. Thank you guys for keeping my hobby alive in my mind during the tumultuous time that is young fatherhood. Without your dulcet tones in my ears, week in and week out, I might have been lost on this fantasy road months ago. Your product is excellent and worth a listen to for new and old alike. I want to keep on dungeon mastering. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dinosaur Whisperer. I may know who that is. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure on it, but it, it just really sounds familiar to me. All I can hear now is like faint T-Rex noises. <laughs> Sick. All right, Neil, you know what time it is. Let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. So today for the meat, we have a very special guest. We have Chris Perkins, D&D unicorn and senior story designer. Chris, thanks for coming on and joining us. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. We're very happy to have you here. And for anybody... Uh, if there's anybody listening to our show uh, and they don't know who you are, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, whatever you would like to tell us about yourself, you know, your, how long you've been playing D&D, um, if you like long walks on the beach, all that good information. Absolutely. So I discovered D&D when I was 10 years old and I've been playing and been an avid fan of it ever since. I'm known probably best as being a prolific dungeon master. But uh, my true passion is writing for D&D and creating for D&D. And D&D occupies my every waking thought and probably most of my <laughs> sleeping thoughts as well. And I think the game has a tremendous power to do good in the world. And so that's what I kind of strive to do in my job is be a worthy custodian of this long, beloved brand and to kind of tell interesting stories that hopefully I can share with other folks and create this wonderful community. Um, that we can all be a part of. So I've been at Wizards for about almost 23 years and was a freelancer before then. And that's how I kind of got my foot in the door. 
writing articles for Dragon and Dungeon magazines back when much of the community was based around magazines. This is long, long <laughs> before the internet. And so, <laughs> and uh, uh, with the advent of the internet and the development of streaming technology, I became known as a, a dungeon master for such games as Acquisitions Incorporated, and then later uh, Dice Camera Action, and have uh, made a number of live game appearances as well. Going so far as to be on stage at Benaroya Hall in Seattle, which I never thought would ever happen in yeah. my lifetime. So I've got to meet lots of interesting people all around the world, playing D&D, big D&D fans everywhere. And uh, it's immensely gratifying just to feel the love for, for this game that we mm -hmm. produce. You said that you started playing at 10. Do you remember what age you started DMing at? Pretty much the same age. Yeah. Um, I, I picked up a copy of the Monster Manual, first edition. I uh, took that home and memorized it. Or didn't realize at the time that there were more books to the game. I thought that was the game. That's all you mean. And so me and my friend were just basically running uh, monsters fighting monsters using our own rules that we created. Uh, later when I discovered how D&D was supposed to be played, which wasn't long thereafter, I basically became the DM because my friends did not want to be DM. But yeah, you are among company on that one. Uh. And I, I, was as, I was as bad a DM as anybody is. <laughs> <laughs> so like you mentioned, sharing stories with others, the next question we have is, is there anything you are currently working on? And the unfortunate caveat that we have to put is that you can talk about. Uh, there's not much I can talk about the uh -huh. future other than if you've sort of been paying attention to sort of what we're rolling out and our cadence and whatnot, you can probably get an idea of in general terms what I'm working on. Like I'm probably right now working on an adventure of some kind. I think that could be safe to say. I might actually be working on more than one because at Wizards of the Coast, the way our schedules are built folks like me are working on different projects simultaneously, but they're all in different stages of development. So right now I am taking a product and flowing it into InDesign to see how it fits, but it's basically text complete. I have another product that is currently in the throes of actually still being written. Like we're in the second draft stage and I'm also reviewing material from freelancers. And then there's another project which is just sort of launching and I'm just starting to ramp that up and get in, in writing pieces of it. And then there's another, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Yep. So you're in the forge, but the, the yes. curtains are shut. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the hammer clang. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Since my role is basically narrative lead or narrative designer, it's my job to come up with the stories that drive our entertainment. Pretty much all of what I'm working on is story driven material. Fantastic. All right. And we have one more question uh we have a surprise question for you uh, this one comes from one of our patreon dragons mindweave rpg and mindweave rpg wants to ask you what modern song besides hotel Ca california modern that's song, not right? a modern song yeah <laughs> <laughs> would you like to model a D, D encounter after a song that i'd want to model a D, &D counter after good lord now i'm just going through and looking at my <laughs> your my library co my collection here. perfect yeah <laughs> which one of see these if, see if anything b52's <laughs> rock lobster <laughs> yes yes that everybody's on the beach it's, it's a it's a beach adventure and everybody's it. getting oiled up 
<laughs> and you obviously need to create the new fifth edition monster, the Rock Lobster. Yes. Clearly, clearly, yeah. I can do that. I can do a Rock Lobster. Add it into the next D and D book that. that comes out. <laughs> yes, yes. You have no, you have no gear. Your adventurers in your skivvies, in your speedos. <laughs> When a rock lobster crawls out and threatens you, or or potentially dances with you, Who knows? yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, it could go either way depending on how you role play it. I love it. Right? Yes, I think that's a suitably suitable song. That's great. So thank you to uh, Mindweave RPG for that awesome question, and thank you, Chris, for that fantastic answer. There is no easy segue from that into our topic, so we'll just jump straight in. With the release of Wild Mount, or the Guide to Wild Mount, one of the biggest sections was the Gazetteer. And we felt that it was such an interesting and good section. And one of our big things about this show is talking about world building. And the example of world building with that section is something that we wanted to just pick your brain about. The definitely the hows and the whys. Um, so we're going to be talking about the Guide to Gazetteers, if you will. And one of the things that I wanted to see how much information you had was what is a gazetteer and kind of the history about them. I looked all that up late eighties. They were large and prevalent. Oh my. Um, and in third edition, there was one as well. So yeah. What is your, what is a gazetteer in your mind? Well, when I think of the, when the word comes to my mind, the image that often pops into my head is the first gazetteer that I ever saw which was Gary Gygax's World of Greyhawk Gazetteer. This is going way back. This was a product that came out in the early days of TSR, which consisted of a folder, a color folder with sleeves on the inside. And on one of those sides was a thin little book. And I guess it was about 32 pages or so, uh, black and white. That was just, here is all the information you need about this world of Greyhawk. And then in the other side of the folder was a big fold out map that accompanied it. Big poster map done by an artist named Darlene. Anyway, that book sticks in my mind as uh, one of the best gazetteers I ever saw, maybe because it was the first, but also because it distilled the entire world down to this one booklet and gave you what was considered to be, at least by its author, enough information to paint a picture of that world in your mind, but not so much information that you couldn't then take it, run with it, and make the world your own. And I think the best gazetteers in my mind do that thing. They, they, paint, they help paint a picture of the world in your mind, but then they give you room as a creative soul to go off and make the world as you want it to be. Yeah, certainly the like looking through the gazetteer in Wild Mount and the Eberron books, I have to echo that that sentiment because it yeah, it kind of points you in a direction. It crafts the idea of what a region looks like. And it doesn't have like a huge list of, you know, there's this inside of the of this city, there's here's all the shops and their names and the this and the that. It doesn't tell you that, but it certainly points you in a direction where you can have a sense of what kind of shops and what kind of buildings and what kind of churches and what their names might be. And yet it lets you create, but within this giving you the idea of what it might look like. And it's built in such a way that you know that the the DM isn't going to use all of it. There's no way to use all of it. 
but they're going to pick one piece or one corner and they're going to fixate on that. And then they're going to breathe life into that section. And with gazetteers, I think you can often go a little bit too far down the rabbit hole and present too much information to the point where the DM doesn't feel feel they can internalize it anymore. They can't become ever experts on the world because it's just too much. They don't like, do they need to know where this street is in relation to that street in this town? No, not really. A gazetteer just kind of gives you a skim, a flyover, uh, a sense of what the general character of a location is so that the DM feels like it's real enough that they can do something with it. I'm trying to think of the name. Who's the the famous travel guide books? Volo. Yeah, and and so it feels. Like, I mean, some of them feel like this is these are the kinds of things in a more structured format. Certainly, that this is the information you're getting. Like, oh, what, would I want to go there on vacation? I mean, most places in a D and D world know that you don't. But the idea of like uh, like a travel brochure of what you could find there and what you can do there, but not. Uh, like you said, this street connects to this street and these things exactly, but enough to have an adventure. And when you have a gazetteer and you're detailing multiple lands and multiple cities and talking about them, even in a general way, I think the best gazetteers do a very good job of making sure that every location has its own character. Like all the cities aren't the same. This city stands out because it's got this really interesting feature or this very interesting um, leader or it's governed in a unique way. Maybe it's ruled by, you know, a group of mages or it's a half-orc community. You know, every place has its own distinct identity. And one of the things that Matt Mercer did um, in creating the Gazetteer was attempt to make sure that all the locations he was describing had an identity that was theirs and theirs alone. I love the idea of, uh, you know, bringing in the idea of Volo, a, a character with in a, a D&D world or a travel bu- brochure. And because, you know, we we look at the Gazetteer and we go, oh, this is so useful for the DM to be able to get a sense of the region and the land and the people and the culture. And But I also go, you know, it's also great for the DM to have this, have this information in front of him or her and be able to then say to... The players, you know, you you come across uh, this travel brochure or this uh, person who's an expert on the land and to be able to then use many parts of the gazetteer to then relay information that could be extremely useful to the players and giving them a sense of what the land is like or what the people are like. Absolutely. I think the Volos guides, uh, which were like gazetteers for the Forgotten Realms, were have always been endearing to people because yeah, um, part, part of that is because Volo is a character who is fallible. He's an unreliable narrator at times, but he's also very charming. And the things he focuses on are very much what are important to his character, which is why the Volo's guides really are just descriptions of fest hall after fest hall after <laughs> fest hall and tavern after tavern after tavern, <laughs> because that's how Volo sees the world of the Forgotten Realms through taverns and fest halls. Uh, he judges a whole town basically on the merits of their fest halls <laughs> and taverns. Um, with when we did um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, which was an adventure back in 2018, we had a section in that book which was a gazetteer to the city of Waterdeep, and we brought Volo back to narrate that to sort of harken back to that earlier age of Volo's style. Now, with Matt's gazetteer, 
it's more of a neutral presentation. There isn't a, a narrator guiding you through these places like some of those Volos guides are. But, that, but what you can take from that is that what you're being told is actually true. The, the narration is reliable. Absolutely. And, and if you want to go a Volos route, it's really easy to just take some of those numbers and those, that information and skew it and have a character give it out to your players, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a great way, too, for you to inject your own elements into that, yeah. too. Like if you want to take the, the city of Port de Mali and make it your own, you can cast the information to your players as coming from an unreliable narrator and then add stuff to what you know Matt put down on the page. Yeah, one of the biggest benefits I see about this is, like you said, where the players are is definitely the place where you as the DM is, are most likely to invest all of your efforts to make it as fleshed out and real as possible. But having those seeds planted, if you will, right around it with the gazetteer so that if they ask about the neighboring country, you don't have to say, I need to go to the bathroom or have a blank stare, but you have those seeds and then that could then dictate what's going to happen later because that seed is planted and now your players are extremely interested because of what you showed them because you had the gazetteer ready. Exactly. You're, you're basically calling out one of the key things about a good gazetteer and that it does give you information in case the characters go in a direction you didn't expect. Um, I like that you said in case that's, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> we know they all will yeah. <laughs> uh, to some extent or another, but yeah, it's just nice to be able to have something you can pull out at a moment's notice. If suddenly they want to run off to Hopper Duke and light some fireworks off or something. So one of the questions I wanted to pose is specifically about how you created the adventure hooks for certain areas in the wild mount book, because it's such an interesting and mind numbingly useful tool as a DM to not just have the information of like what this area is like, what trouble will your players potentially get in right thereafter. And all I could think is like, man, how would I get a post at the right size to like cover that up in case I want to show them about an area? Yeah. Yeah. Just so you understand how this product came together. Um, we sat down with Matt Mercer at the outset, first of all, to decide, is this project something that our two companies want to devote time to um, with everything else going on? And then uh, to sort of get a handle on what Matt's vision for each part of the project was. And we wanted this product to be Matt's book. Wizards on this product was basically helping Matt take it to its final book form. But everything that you see right down to the adventure hooks that you mentioned really came from Matt's brain. And so he and his co-writers uh, wrote up a bunch of these adventure hooks and attached them to all of the entries. What I basically did was just kind of vet them, make sure that they felt appropriate for the levels that they were pegged at, make sure that there was enough there that the DM could latch onto. And in a very couple places, uh, only maybe two or three places, I did write some adventure hooks myself just to get the layout of the book to look right, like to fill out the bottom mm -hmm. of a page, say. Like, I think I wrote one of the adventure hooks, which was uh, the adventure hook about the crap, the Kraken Whacker, which is a, <laughs> uh, a galleon that high level characters can inherit and uh, the, the challenges that ensue. But most of these hooks came from Matt and his writers. And so they were basically within these hooks trying to, in each hook, reinforce the character of the location that the hook was attached to. So for the Shady Creek run hooks, it's all about kind of 
intrigue and you know dealing with these kind of warring thieves guilds whereas in some other location the hooks would try to emulate the genre or style of that location so we have a we have a whole mix of listeners uh, to our our show most obviously dungeon masters but we have a lot of dungeon masters who are are going to buy buy or already have bought this book or or the Eberron book with the gazetteers in them and are looking through them are using this this section and finding it to be so useful in running games in the world but we also have a lot of listeners who run games in their their homebrew worlds that they themselves have created and so for those dms out there who have their own worlds um what do you see as um, something, if they look at these books with the gazetteers in them, what's something that they can learn from or pull from, draw out as inspiration as they're making their own homebrew worlds? That's a really good question. Um, first, I would say what Matt really did with his gazetteer section was show what anybody can do with the D&D rules as they exist. And what I mean by that is Matt was very clear at the outset that what he wanted to do was to build on what already exists in D&D. So basically he was using existing elements of D&D to create this gazetteer. But what you discover uh, in this gazetteer and what DMs discover on their own is that there's a tremendous, there's tremendous creative flexibility to pretty much use D&D to create almost any world. I would say to DMs, hey, this gazetteer shows you that you can do your own gazetteer. Mm. You can use what D&D has to offer uh, to basically create your own gazetteer just like Matt did. You don't have to create a bunch of new rules or mechanics or system stuff to make that happen. But then the other great thing about this gazetteer and what DMs who are using their own, have their own worlds can draw from it is... Uh, there are select pieces or chunks that are just great ideas that can be pulled out. For instance, in this gazetteer is a description of a place called Urzen on the, on the Marsh. Urzen is a community built on the back of gigantic swamp-dwelling tortoises. And so it's this wandering village that basically makes its way through the, the swamps and plains of Zorhas. That is just a great idea. And a DM could easily take Urzen out of Wildmount and drop it into their home campaign, not even changing the names if they don't want to, and just steal that idea. And I think that's part of what a gazetteer is. It's just a, a treasure hoard to plunder. I would say I always think about that. And it, it always it's what term are you comfortable with? But as a DM, pirate, <laughs> Viking, cannibal, like that. That's how it. That's how it works, and that's and it's also funny because I feel like as me as a DM, those things are also freely given. The same way that Matt's presenting it to everyone, like look at all of these things. Because my first thought is I would drop that in my world, but I would have that whole city on the back of a tortoise just show up, and everyone be like, "What is happening? Why is this here? That's the story. Why is it here? Why did it wander off?" Exactly, and there are there this play this section of the book is so riddled with ideas. That you can even just take fragments of them. For instance, I had mentioned this place called Hupperduke earlier. For those who don't know, Hupperduke is basically a gnome city on a mountainside. And one of the great things about this place is the gnomes work all day. They toil and toil and toil and toil. But as soon as night falls, 
everything shuts down and they have a party and they just light up fireworks all night and yeah. get drunk and have a happy time. I just love that concept. And I would take that idea of the city shutting down and then partying all night. And I would, I would transplant it to another city in my own campaign in a heartbeat, just simply because I like that idea so much. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's inspiration, exactly what you're, you're saying. And if as a person who is creating your own world, you want to put your own spin on it or change an element, you want to make it a city of dwarves, you want to uh, make it a moving town or village or city uh, that are on the back of lizards or maybe whales, like, and it's in the water, like you can put that own spin on it. You can change the name if you want, or you can just take right from it. But I mean, Chris, I think that you and multiple other game, like probably every, almost every game designer out there would in a heartbeat admit like, yeah, I'm constantly inspired by other writers, by other works, by movies. Like it's, it's seeing and it's experiencing and reading these other works of art and narrative that gets my brain rolling, my creative juices flowing and starts me to be able to create my own things. Yeah. I think, um, the idea of creative theft is, is a really interesting one. And that for your own campaign, there's no limits on what you can creatively draw from other sources. And sometimes it's not the text, sometimes it's the art. Um, mm -hmm. When you look at this gazetteer and you see all the art in here, places like the Bergesen Sanatorium, you just look at that illo and you go, that looks perfect for my campaign, that sort of gothic haunted asylum kind of dealy. I have had a number of cases where the art alone has inspired something in my campaign. It's all fair game. I think one of the interesting ways to think about it too, Mitch, you had mentioned it as a DM or really Chris, like you're mentioning someone creative, eventually, I don't know of another analogy, so I have to use it. Uh, eventually, if you're building things and we're going to use Legos, you're going to run out of pieces if you're not putting more in, if you're not experiencing things on a, on a personal level, if you're not watching movies, if you're not just reading this gazetteer for no other reason to just put more pieces in your box to build other things, like you will run out and then those things will get repetitive. So like the bonus of this is literally just read it and you will have those things in there. Yes. And actually it's, it's a good lesson to learn. Uh, it was a good lesson for me to learn at a young age. My introduction to D and D I've already talked about to an extent the way I developed into an adventure writer and then later into sort of a campaign builder was I read all of the first edition adventures that came out. Um, TSR used to print them out in these, these folio formats of 32 page booklets, basically each booklet, its own standalone adventure. I just absolutely absorbed and consumed that material voraciously. And it taught me, not only how adventures are structured in D&D &D and what a good adventure is from a bad adventure, but it also just filled my head with tropes and archetypes and these kinds of building blocks that then I can take as a DM and riff on. It's like learning, you learn to ski and then you learn to do helicopters through the air, you know? It's, not, it's never the other way around. Ooh. It is not. <laughs> but those do make for good content as well. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, you read, when I read Ravenloft, for instance, which was a classic early edition D&D adventure, it taught me how far you can get away from the dungeon and still call it a D&D adventure. It taught me how 
deep your villain can be and how, how complex a villain can be in a D&D adventure. And the same thing with a gazetteer. When you read it, uh, you just begin to realize that you have so much, so much to learn and so much opportunity to create by, by watching other people do the same thing, by watching other people who have done the same thing already. I think that every single campaign that I've ever run has come from either reading or watching or having a conversation. And ever since starting this podcast, I have, through having guests on, I, I'm sure Neil can say the same thing, I have had so many campaign ideas come just from Ooh. like talking with game designers and authors and podcasters and uh, whoever to the point where I have so many campaign ideas that I'm ne- I know I never will have the time to finish them. But certainly that that so rings true. I want to I want to key in on what I think is a fantastic part of the gazetteer section that I think we really need to talk about, especially if we're going to talk about um, people out there making their own homebrew gazetteers. Like what what would go into that? And each section, each region has this breakdown at the beginning and it goes through five things. And this section is is pretty small with each of the regions. And then it breaks down into more information and adventure hooks. But at the beginning, it has population, and that's including uh, the, the number, uh, but also gives a, a bre- breakdown of like how many, what percent is human, what percent is uh, tabaxi, what percent is dwarves uh, or other races. Then it, so it has population, government, defense, commerce, and organizations. And I think that even if you aren't wanting to write like a, you know, six pages on your region uh, that you want to work through for every region, because that that can be a lot of work for people who are just making homebrew worlds just to play at their table. I think those five things, those five elements can really give you a good sense that you could, if you have those five things written down for the region that you're going to be playing in, that you can reference back to and that you can tell your players that you, in a lot of senses, are ready to dive in and start role-playing in, in that region. How did you guys decide these were the five things and uh, the importance of, of those five elements in creating the Gazetteer? Uh, that was very easy uh, in this case. Uh, Matt decided yeah. <laughs> that he wanted to, to put this information uh, up front. Now, it's possible that were I building my own Gazetteer, I might structure the information slightly differently or uh, like include a section up front that's just like a, a nutshell summary of what it is. Um, in fact, uh, after working on Dawn War, I kind of did something like that for a project that's releasing later this year uh, that has a little bit of Gazetteer stuff in it as well. My categories are slightly different because the setting is slightly different, but uh, when Matt first turned over his first draft and we saw that the sections were there. We actually had an internal debate uh, on our team about the merits of keeping it, or maybe we should just jettison it. Ultimately, we decided to keep it because we like the, the way that it just kind of gets at, the, gets at the essence of a location. Like for instance, in Rothold, you learn that the population is some 8,000 people. So it gives you a sense of scale and size. You can also see that it's got a mixture of humans and dark elves, which is kind of weird. Oh, there are goblins and tieflings there too. Oh, that's kind of weird. 
So right away, you're getting a sense that this is not your normal Berg. And then when you read about the government section, you see they don't have an official government that is also basically, it's just basically run by a bunch of local guilds. You're like, okay, well, that's even more interesting. And then when you start talking about the other sections, it really starts to paint a picture of just how weird and wacky and wonderful this place is. And you didn't have to read a bunch of text um, to get that. Yeah, it's like it's like you said, painting it. Man, I feel so forced into some analogies. But then, like you said, painting a picture, but it is quite literally broad strokes. And like, if you even just took the because maybe you didn't read beforehand, and your players are like, "This is where we are now," and like, <laughs> "Oh crap!" Um, you'll look over and then read those quickly, and you will, like you said, you have a lot that you could work off of you, almost immediately. Yeah, now I'm actually going to call, I'm going to open up a file here and share with you some, you know, top secret future stuff. Uh, so inspired by what Matt did in his gazetteer, I'm now looking at the document for the product that's releasing later this year where I kind of riffed on it. And when I was doing the gazetteer sections, and I was basically, uh, these sections were designed for a series of towns. I have a population. I kept that. My next section is leader because it turns out these particular towns each have one. Then I talk about militia. Then I talk about heraldry, because every town has a symbol that goes with it. And then I talk about rivals, because every town has rivals. And then I added a section at the bottom, which was uh, kind of like a, a tour. We were talking about travel guides earlier. Mm -hmm. One of the things I loved about the Volos guides was he would give ratings yeah. two things like he'd rate the fest halls and ta and taverns based on the on their expensiveness on the quality of their goods and so on and so forth i wanted to preserve some of that with this product so i have a rating scale for each town's friendliness services and comfort so that was my version of what matt was doing in wild mount i think that a lot of dms when they see these sort of nutshell summaries of the locations will do their own versions of them as well. And I think that's a good thing. They don't all have to be the same, but they're all useful. You know, I would wager something that I've put behind my DM screen to remind myself so that I can, you know, work on my DMing skills is I have a just a little note card that uh, says, goes through the, the senses, you know, sight, smell, uh, you know, so that I can, when introducing a new place to my players, look at that and be like, oh, how, how can I describe this so I can really paint a picture? And I would wager for, you know, we've talked about how players can all of a sudden be like, you know what, I want to go over here instead. And I would wager having a note card with these elements behind your DM screen, uh, whether it, it's population, government, defense, commerce, or organizations, heraldry, rival, uh, rivals, friendliness, I think that having that behind your DM screen that you can maybe take a second look at that and, and maybe jot down something real quick. It doesn't have to be a lot, but that would be just a fantastic way to have yourself prepared for those moments where players want to go somewhere that maybe you weren't expecting them to. And maybe if you're if we're talking homebrew worlds, maybe haven't even created yet. And just to work through that really quickly, because I, I can't tell how many times my players have asked me a question and I've been caught off guard about a setting like, so what is the, what is the main import here? What is, how do they make their money here in the city? 
and I just go, not, uh, would you like to know the tavern name I just created? <laughs> you know, and having yeah. that would be so helpful to kind of preemptively have myself and maybe other DMs would find that useful to be able to think through those things. I agree. It's also nice to have maybe just like a one, one or two things that this town has that no other town yeah. or settlement has. Maybe monuments like too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like when I think of Luskin, the city of sales, which is a city in the forgotten realms on the sword coast, the first image that comes to mind is basically a forest of masts, like ship masts, because it's, a, it's like a massive shipping port. The next thing I see is the house tower of the arcane, mm-hmm. which is this multi-branched, super tall, ridiculously obscenely tall structure in an otherwise low lying city. Like you can't miss it. Low lying and ugly. And then it's just mage tower. Okay. I am gigantic mage tower. Uh, it's like, okay, I, there, there's a picture of Luskin that and muddy streets. I was describing a, a homemade settlement recently. You know, it just, it just stinks to high heaven. And so the smell is what is the one thing that this town. And so it doesn't have to be a sight. It can be a sound or a, a it could be like this town is where we make uh, orgaberry muffins and the whole town just smells of orgaberry muffins mm-hmm. all day, all night long. Yeah. Or yeah, it rains always. There's earthquakes yes. on a daily basis. Like I, I remember playing the first Assassin's Creed video game and I, it put me off to the entire series until I finally decided to play Odyssey. And I was like, okay, this is fantastic. But anyway, I digress. When I played the first one, I remember going from town to town and I was like, these are all the same. This is boring. As the DM, like you're painting that picture. And when in Westeros, when you go into Bravos, you notice the Colossus. That's going to be the first thing. So, yeah, it might be even great to have a couple of those written down as examples of like different monuments or different features that geolo- uh, geographical features that could be something you pull from to create a sense yes. of this is yeah, different. Yeah. This is new. Yeah. I think, I think a land landmarks is a good, easily addressed thing that one could add. If every city had a landmark, it would be very easy for it to, to sort of build an identity around that landmark. If you role play, Oh, you're going into a new town. Here's the town name and all the towns, all the shops, all the people, they all seem the same. You don't describe the architecture or the landscape or distinguishing features. Your, I think your players, rightfully so, might become like, oh, like it doesn't, I don't remember that town. It has no. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it doesn't to, stick out. To, to the credit of Matt and the writers on Wildmount, they did a really good job of making sure that there were at least features within each town that defined mm-hmm. them. In one, in one city, it's a gigantic lighthouse. In another, it's the fact that the city is kind of built on this gigantic mound um, that sort of sticks up out of the plain. And we already talked about Urzen on the back of the tortoises. And then there's, you know, another city that's basically in a globe of night, perpetual night. Um, So the sun never shines there. You know, these are, it just helps the players tremendously. And it also shows that as a DM, you're not just plug and playing you know, just copying and pasting the same experience over and over and over again. D&D worlds are magical. They're wondrous. The easiest way to make players believe that is to show them this different, this, these sort of distinctive elements. And you can have colossi and other things in a D&D world. There, there's no limit, really. Yeah. 
the other thing that's nice is having that information available to the players because the thing that I thought was so I live in California. The assumption is I probably am on the beach. I am there's more cows where I live than humans <laughs> practically. So when you go somewhere and you start to come home, most people will have that smell. It's not good for them, but for someone who's lived here for basically their entire life, it's like, no, that's home. And so even having a player that knows they're from this town, when everyone is entering, you get to have let that player have that different experience because for, let, let's say you have a party of four, three are disgusted, one genuinely feels a sense of hope. And having those pieces already available or seeing the globe of darkness. And again, maybe the other three are terrified and one is just excited because they know exactly where they are. And so having those available to the player is really important. Exactly. Yeah. So we're moving on to our favorite section because we call it homework, but it's just a joy to do. So any examples that the three of us have that people could read, could watch and just help demonstrate the the topic of gazetteers and basically ways to pull and get information. So I can kick us off because I love doing that. Go ahead and play Diablo 3 because when you find new information about monsters or journals that you find, they are then read aloud often by the person that wrote them. And so again, you have one character who is very Volo. And you're not like it is information. You're not sure how credible it is in the same way you have Deckard Kane. He'll read information and you're pretty sure that's the very kind of analytical version of that information and you can trust it. Um, so yeah, Diablo 3 is my first suggestion. I think for me, I would my homework's going to be a task because it's something I think I've been inspired to do. I want to just grab maybe all my D&D books and fantasy books and uh, Chris, you mentioned how like art can so just inspire and just a piece of art alone. And one of the things that I'm thinking of is like looking at a piece of art, even from like a an already pre-established setting, just looking at the art and not the text around it might give you ideas that are completely different than what it's going to give you ideas that are completely different than what that setting takes. And I I want to get these elements, population, uh, commerce, uh, friendliness. And I want to start like maybe building a small um, pool of things to pull out, like monuments, things like that, so that I can have that for myself as a DM whenever I am thrown, thrown out of the loop to have to create a new place and to have these elements that I can pull from and hopefully quicker and with uh, more of an artistic paintbrush, paint a better picture of a new land or a new city or a new town. So go go and take all of those creative wells that you have, spend some time just pulling out ideas from the art, from uh, the books that you have, from the movies that you have. I would say, um, so a gazetteer, kind of reflects in a lot of ways what a D&D game is like, and that is you're really kind of traveling between zones. You don't spend a lot of time in most D&D campaigns chronicling the entire trip. You kind of leave a place, and then you are at another place. And you might montage your way between the two, but you don't really care about what the world looks like between those two places. What you're mostly concerned about is where you left from and where you appear at. And... One of uh, my work would to basically hop on a grip and fly around uh, mm. 
the World of Warcraft world, where you can just see how different things are characterized and brought to life and what are the elements that define a zone that you don't find in any other zone. I love that. That's, That's yeah. As someone who's played, who's not going to talk about how much he's played world of Warcraft. <laughs> that, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, it's so good because of how stark that changes between zones. And also that you have multiple worlds. I mean, you have, you have the burning crusade, you can go to the Miss of Pandaria, or you can just check out Northrend and just see those, like I said, stark transition. And that immediately defines where you are. You know exactly where yes. you've gone into. Yeah. It's a little, obviously it's artificial because the transitions are so stark and yeah. so sudden, <laughs> yes. but in a D and D game, you do have more space between these locations, but the feeling of going from one to another is very similar. You can have those stark transitions in play simply because the DM is describing the journey as um, just sort of breezing over it. And then next time your players jump on the back of their griffins or their giant eagles, you have that experience to pull from in your description of travel. Yeah, to paint that picture a little bit more. Yeah. Well, so the other one I will say, and Chris, you casually mentioned it as the as pretty much the easiest way to figure out how to design for the current edition of Dungeons and Dragons. Just read the books that are coming <laughs> out. Like that that that's how this works. Um and so I would say definitely for some great ideas on how to write a gazetteer, certainly get the guide to Wild Mount and also get Eberron Rising of the Last War because that is another it's a very good and different approach to the Gazetteer because there it says, You are here. These are the most likely things that will happen. One, two, three. Um, so definitely get both of those and read them because you should. Exactly. We learn through imitation. And both of those books, because this is always super exciting to me when I when I get the D&D books, both of those are definitely meteor books. They are they got some heft to them, and that's always exciting. Yes, it was. I must admit, it was a little bit of concern of mine back when we were kind of plotting out when things were releasing that we were going to basically be doing these back-to-back campaign setting books. Um, not that I was afraid they were going to compete with each other because they're wildly different. Um, Wild Mount is very different from uh, Corvair. But uh, I just wondered, you know, will the, will the community want a double dose of campaign setting in, in fairly close proximity? Um, but then it occurred to me that we hadn't really we had placed so much emphasis on uh, adventures and other things that we hadn't really done a lot of campaign lifting. And I love the juxtaposition actually of here's a campaign book for a campaign setting that has existed in the past that we are updating and contemporizing. And here is a campaign book that is completely new and made for fifth edition and hadn't existed previously in any way, shape or form. I love putting them side by side. And to your point, seeing the ways in which they've been handled differently um, to show that there's not one right way of doing it, your world and your and your gazetteer are customized, um, in effect. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Chris. Thanks so much for for joining us uh, to talk about gazetteers and uh, the ones that have officially been put out by Wizards, and then just inspiring us to create our own gazetteers for our own homebrew worlds as well. Chris, if our listeners would like to keep up to date with everything that you're working on, everything that uh, is going on at Wizards of the Coast, uh, maybe send you a tweet. Where can they do those things at? I can be reached on Twitter at ChrisPerkinsDND. So definitely go and follow Chris. Um, hopefully soon we will 
see more of this this unnamed project that uh, you have teased us with. Uh, I am certainly excited. And we hope to have you join us back on the show uh, sometime in the future. Definitely. That would be great. Thank you for having me. This has been a real treat. We just want to thank Chris again for coming and spending some time. He was already in his own dungeon <laughs> stay, due to staying at home like everyone else. That sounds so much cooler. Stay in dungeon. Yeah, stay in dungeon. It saves you, lives. <laughs> perfect. But <laughs> does it? <laughs> But Mitch, if people wanted to get a hold of us and tell us about the gazetteer that they've made for their own world, where would they do it? You can send us an email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Send us all your questions uh, like Neil just said, or send us any ideas that you have been inspired uh, to put into your own homebrew worlds using maybe a gazetteer of your own. Also, if you see fit and you love our show, Please head over to Apple Podcast or to Stitcher or to wherever you can review podcasts and give us a five-star review. It helps us to reach other people, to reach other Dungeon Masters, and to people who may, through the show, grow a desire to become Dungeon Masters and to not keep on Dungeon Mastering, but start up Dungeon Mastering. And as always, you can head over to Twitter and follow us at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. Or you can like us on Facebook where you can keep track of us and all of the awesome things we're doing. The Dungeon Masters block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Geek Wars, Detentions and Dragons, and more. As always, we want to thank you for listening to the Dungeon Masters block. The place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. <laughs> and keep on Dungeon Mastering. I don't care what Chris says. Anytime he's not here, I'm taking it. Goodbye.